Psalm 44. We have heard with our ears, O God. Our fathers have told us what you did in their days, in days long ago. With your hand, you drove out the nations and planted our fathers. You crushed the peoples and made our fathers flourish. It was not by their sword that they won the land, nor did their arm bring them victory. It was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your face, for you love them. You are my king and my God, who decrees victories for Jacob. Through you we push back our enemies. Through your name we trample our foes. I do not trust in my bow. My sword does not bring me victory. But you give us victories over our enemies. You put our adversaries to shame. In God we make our boast all day long, and we will praise your name forever. But now you have rejected and humbled us. You no longer go out with our armies. You made us retreat before the enemy, and our adversaries have plundered us. You gave us up to be devoured like sheep, and have scattered us among the nations. You sold your people for a pittance, gaining nothing from their sale. You have made us a reproach to our neighbours, the scorn and derision of those around us. You have made a byword, made us a byword among the nations. The people shake their heads at us. My disgrace is before me all day long, and my face is covered with shame at the taunts of those who reproach and revile me because of the enemy who is bent on revenge. All this happened to us, though we had not forgotten you or been false to your covenant. Our hearts had not turned back. Our feet had not strayed from your path, but you crushed us and made us a haunt for jackals and covered us over with deep darkness. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would God, not God have discovered it since he knows the secrets of the heart? Yet for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. Awake, O Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself, do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? We are brought down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us. Redeem us because of your unfailing love. Hello. Today, I'm going to talk about how do you talk to God during a pandemic? Or to give it a slightly different emphasis, how do you talk to God during this pandemic? In other words, I'm asking about our prayer lives. And the moment one talks about prayer life, it's sensitive territory. And the reason for that is we all feel our prayer life is inadequate. If you're in front of me, I could ask for a show of hands. Put your hand up if you feel your prayer life is adequate. And of course, no hands will go up. It's often been said, if you want to humble a Christian, ask them about their prayer life. Well, I don't want to humble us. I want instead to encourage us, to empower us, to equip us to pray in the coming days and weeks ahead. And the reason I'm returning to this topic of prayer 
And the reason I'm focusing on it is simply because the longer this pandemic stretches, the more it stretches us. At least it certainly stretches me. It's as if we began this race, if you think of it as a race, maybe feeling quite fit. And now we're discovering that the race is far longer than when most of us thought it would be. It's an endurance race and we're beginning to limp and we're frayed at the edges and we're frayed on the inside. And people who see us now, well, they don't see us at our best, do they? So we want them to cut us some slack. And perhaps it's true when God sees me, he doesn't see me at my best either. And it might be, just possibly might be, that some of us are beginning to struggle in even trying to pray during a season of pandemic. Which is why I hope to be able to show us three different attitudes, three different models, three different prayers in the scripture, which are bound to reflect where we are in our prayer life at some time or other. I'd like to begin with an encouraging fact, and that is this. God himself is looking forward to hearing from us. I'm sure we've had some very exasperating phone calls in our time where we get put through to an answering machine and it says something like this. If you know the correct extension number, please dial it now. Or it might say, you are number 7050 in the queue. Much better is when someone says, I'm putting you through right now, or he or she will see you right now. And the scriptures indicate to us consistently that is God the Father's attitude to us as his children. We won't dwell on this, but a key word you could look up if you wanted to in a concordance and trace through is the word access in Paul's letters. Paul says we have access to the Father through Jesus Christ. More directly, Jesus told his disciples in a parable in Luke 18 that they ought always to pray and not to lose heart, indicating he's longing to hear from us. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, pray continually. But it's still a challenge. It's still a challenge. And the first prayer we're going to look at is actually the prayer of someone who is struggling. You might call this first model of prayer, prayer in the pit. On my bookshelf, I have many books on prayer and two that I like to keep side by side, except that I've lent one to a friend, can't remember who it is, so they're not side by side. One of the two prayer books is by a Dutch writer called Henry Nouwen. And I'd like to read you what he writes from his own personal diary. It's about his prayer life. And evidently, he's struggling. Why should I spend time in prayer when I do nothing during that time but think about people I'm angry with, people who are angry with me, books I should read and books I should write, and thousands of other silly things that happened to grab my mind for a moment? The answer is because God's greater than my mind and my heart. And what is really happening in the house of prayer is not measurable in terms of human success and failure. And the remarkable thing is that sitting in the presence of God, 
for a time each morning, day after day, week after week, month after month, in total confusion and with myriad distractions, radically changes my life. God who loves me doesn't leave me waiting in the dark too long. I might think that each hour is useless, but after 30 or 60 or 90 such useless hours, I gradually realised that I was not as alone as I thought. A very small, gentle voice has been speaking to me, far beyond my noisy place. So, he writes, be confident and trust in the Lord. And what I think I get from that short extract is the grit and determination to keep going that he has. And it does seem just frank to admit, and not something I often hear people talk about, that our walk with God and our prayer life with God is likely to go in seasons. Sometimes, in the course of our life, prayer might well be an uphill struggle. And at other times, it might seem incredibly easy. But at this time, when I think many of us are just so tired and weary and frayed at the edges, and we are dealing with massive issues, of course it seems reasonable and fair that prayer might be a challenge. And so our first port of call is Psalm 44. And I would say that it focuses on praying from the pits. Let me give you a resume of this psalm, and then I suggest that you might reach for the pause this talk button and read it through for yourself, just to familiarise yourself with the content of it. Something I'm pretty sure about is this is nobody's favourite psalm. It's not like Psalm 23, which you can find printed on all sorts of postcards and posters. I doubt anyone's ever written out Psalm 44 and put it on their bedroom wall for inspiration. It's probably never been referenced in any other sermon you've ever listened to. And as I read this psalm through, a number of things became horribly clear. The psalmist is perplexed. He's puzzled. He's in pain and he can't make head or tail of what's going on around him. And he tells God, we know in the past you did awesome things. We know that you vanquished armies. We know that you brought victory to your people. We were proud of you and you vindicated us. But what's up? You've deserted us. You've sold us for a shilling, as it were, or actually as it says in verse 12, you've sold us for a pittance. It's as if the tables have been turned and we're now the ones in retreat and we're on the run. And frankly, God, we look like idiots relying on you and trusting in you and you haven't delivered. And here's the bit that really gets to me. It's when he says, and the thing is, we haven't strayed from your paths. We haven't hardened our hearts. We haven't forgotten you. But we're clinging on to you and where does it lead us? We face death all day long. Are you asleep or something? Why do you hide? That's in verse 23. You might pause now and just look at that psalm. But let me make these observations from this prayer. What's it got going for it? Not a lot. But this. Searing honesty. Searing honesty. If you and I are going to keep talking to God or even begin talking to God throughout this pandemic, we need to let him into what's going on in our hearts and our minds 
and our feelings. Otherwise, it's simply going to be a load of claptrap that he has to put up with. And if that's the case, we won't kid him anyway. Because we know that he says, Jesus says, they honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Prayer life is not meant to be a charade. It's transparency before the living God. What on earth is going on in your world, God? Are you on the throne? Well, you've got a funny way of showing it. Have you seen the pain that I'm in, the confusion that's all around me? Let me tell you what I feel like. As this psalmist says in verse 25, we're brought down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Now, God has told us to pray and not lose heart. And in doing that, he gives us permission to be honest with him. And only if we're honest with him will we keep the conversation alive, quite frankly. If we smother our prayers in platitudes, we'll soon dry up because it's not sincere. It loses validity. It's like trying to bombard God with fake news. That's fake prayer. There is one shred of hope in this peculiar prayer, and it comes only at the very, very end with the last verse of the psalm, the last words of it. Rise up and help us, pleads the psalmist. Rescue us because of your unfailing love. Ultimately, our hope or his hope is not in the idea that he was worthy of love or deserving of love or had any claim on God's love. Nor was his hope or his peace dependent on getting some kind of ultimate understanding of the reason for the situation. We often ask the question, why does God allow a pandemic? Well, I don't know. But the truth is, I wouldn't really be comforted if I did know. But the plea is, Lord, we're coming to you and just banking on your unfailing love. And because of that, we're asking you to act. It's a confused prayer, isn't it? it? It's a prayer with more questions than answers. But as I've said, it's an honest and sincere prayer. And it's an appropriate prayer for life in the pits. So if you feel that your heart towards God is all scrambled and mixed up and you hardly know how to go near him and you don't even know if you do, you have permission from the scriptures to pray like this. And at least you're keeping the conversation alive. This is an appropriate prayer from the pits. But obviously, the pits is not a place you want to stay for longer than you have to. And I hope, I don't know, but I hope that the person who prayed this prayer in the Psalms, that he went to his friends and they dug him out of the pit, that they led him back into God's company, that he found solace and a way to worship with a heart closer to a heart of joy. And I want to move on now to the second prayer. And this is prayer not at all from the pits. This is prayer in God's presence. And I just invite you to turn a couple of pages probably to Psalm 46. And this actually is quite a popular psalm. Psalm 46. 
God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her, she will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. If you look at Psalm 46, which Matthew has just read to us, you can see to this prayer, the person praying is also sincere. From the very first line, it's obvious too that he's not just sincere, he's also secure. I mentioned I kept two books on my shelves about prayer side by side. Well, the one I haven't lent to a friend, but still have, and so I can show you, is called The Power of Prayer and The Prayer of Power. And it's written by R.A. Torrey. And it's bursting with confidence. Chapter one, The Power of Prayer. Chapter four, How to Pray So As to Get What You Ask. And on and on and on it goes, how to pray for revival. And the thing is, it's not that one of the two, Henry Nouwen or R.A. Torrey, is right and the other's wrong. No, they're both writing the truth, but they're different seasons of prayer. And the writer of Psalm 46 is similarly bursting with confidence, unshakable confidence, and he's very, very secure. And I, I want to just highlight two of the things that he says in this prayer. And he makes it easy for us to see uh, where his heart is focused and where his mind is at, because he repeats these points, each of these two points, many, many times. And the first point is this, in the very first verse, God is ever-present. God is ever-present. He repeats it in verse 1, verse 5, verse 7, and verse 11. Wherever you are, he says, God is near. Now, it often, or at least sometimes, doesn't feel like that. There's a story, and I quite like it, it may be apocryphal, of course, of someone who was in desperate trouble, and he was on a desert island, and he went into a cave, and there he saw something written on the wall. He sat for some time staring at it, and it said to him at the beginning, when he first looked at it, God is nowhere. He was fairly cast down and he was sheltering in this cave. After a while, he looked again and it now read to him, God is now here. And that's 
part one of the message of the psalm I want to bring out today. God is close by. God is with us. That's what's repeated in verse 5, 7 and 11. The writer of the psalm was convinced of that. And this message is reinforced for us by Jesus in the New Testament, isn't it? Didn't he say, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the earth or the ends of the age? Didn't he say, I will never leave you or forsake you? Haven't we just been celebrating Christmas? Emmanuel, God with us. Is this truth ingrained in your heart yet? You'll never walk alone. You'll never walk alone because God commits to be with you. But not just that. This psalmist is convinced of a separate thing, which is God is not just present, but as he says in verse 1, God is an ever-present help in trouble. God will help us. That's the point of him being close to us. It's repeated in verse 5. God will help at the break of day. In verse 9, he makes wars cease. We should ask for help. God's our fortress, our refuge. We can shelter in him. Week by week, I hope that as we read the scriptures, we're resourcing ourselves with confidence in this fact that that's God's character. That was the purposes of Jesus' coming, that he could be present and a very present help in trouble. And when we put these two things together, a conviction and a knowledge that God is close and a certainty that he wants to help, then we're able to do what this psalm asks us to do, to be still and to know that he is God and to have peace. Well, that's, that's wonderful, but we're going to move on now to the third and final place of looking at prayer. It's prayer on an even higher level than the one in Psalm 46. Not just praying in the presence of God, but I would say facing the future. Not facing the future, although we do that, but faithing, F-A-I-T-H-I-N-G, the future. And this is prayer with an inextinguishable hope. And I've chosen to alight on the prayer of Paul at the end of Romans 8, or at least if not a prayer, a conviction of Paul at the end of Romans 8. I don't know that there's anyone in Scripture apart from Jesus who, who suffers to the extent that Paul does. Paul writes about it, his sufferings, to the Corinthians in his second letter. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, have been exposed to death again and again. Five times I re received the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my work. 
So when Paul himself quotes from the psalm I read at the beginning, Psalm 44, the verse that says, For your sake we face death all day long, we're considered a sheep to the slaughter, he's speaking with experience on his side. And what's his response? It's this. In all these things, we're more than conquerors. We shall overcome is his theme tune. How and why? Well, he says, I'm sure of this. We will overcome. We will have victory because nothing, nothing can separate us or drive a wedge between us and the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. To read exactly what Paul says, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced, that is, I know in my heart, I know in my mind, I stand on solid ground when I say this with unshakable conviction. I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels or demons, neither the present or the future or any powers, neither height or depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's ours in Christ Jesus. And I'm sure there are some people who read that letter for the first time uh, from Paul to the Romans who said, oh, I wish I could have your faith, Paul. And Paul would have said, and I want to say, you can. And I can. It's part of the good news. Paul says in this letter, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you done that? Are you doing that? In Romans 10 verse 13, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God which is ours in Christ Jesus. Not COVID, not lockdown, not isolation, not feeling frayed on the inside and the outside. Nothing can separate us from the presence of God in this life or the next if you'll allow Jesus into your heart. Friends, let's just notice as I conclude this talk you don't have to be in a great place to pray. You just have to pray. The best way to learn about prayer, the best way to grow in prayer, the best advice I can give you about prayer is to pray. Never give up. Never give up. Even if as you're sitting or you're standing or you're walking, you don't really know what to say to God. Just share your heart with him. Call upon his name. Ask him for help. Ask the Holy Spirit to come and indwell in your heart and say to him, Lord, I'm here to be in your company and I'm going to keep coming back to talk to you day in, day out for as long as I live. And I want to know you better, draw closer to you, to know that you're a God that will forever be with me, will never leave me and are always there to help. Lord Jesus, help. Amen.